The information on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a qualified licensed professional counselor or a qualified licensed medical provider. Hello and welcome back to another session of the Evolving Chair Podcast with your host Lakeisha Russell, licensed professional counselor, also known as America's Mental Wellness Ambassador. Um, I'm not going to dive off into pop therapy segment today because I have a very special in-studio guest and I definitely want her to have all the time um, allotted. And so before um, we go into our deep session, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my special guest, Nicole Zeke is a mom, public speaker, certified life coach, basketball coach, self-published author, and doctoral student. She has worked in state government for 18 years and works in various capacities with youth. She's earned her undergraduate degree from Alverno College in community leadership and obtained her MBA at Concordia University with a concentration in public administration. Her doctoral studies are in the field of educational leadership with the focus on childhood trauma. Nicole believes that transparency and sharing your journey with others is essential to begin healing our community. Welcome, Nicole. Hello. <laughs> I am so glad to have you. Thank you. And and some of you may be familiar with Nicole. Um, as she coaches the Milwaukee Aces here in Milwaukee. Yes. So you guys have probably seen her on the sideline. Right. <laughs> probably like going in. I'm a calm coach. Calm, calm. I'm a calm coach. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, all with love, though. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm really glad to have you on today. I'm glad to be here. Um, because you wear so many hats. I do. And um, one of them that we're going to focus on today in today's session is talking about childhood trauma and just trauma in general, because many people don't, I think, understand that trauma doesn't just impact the individual, but those around them. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us about your, your story. Like what led you to focus on trauma? Okay. So I've actually, my first book is centered around the first 26 years of my life. And in that book, I talk about different variations of childhood trauma that I've experienced. I'm um, just a brief synopsis. I was left with my grandmother at mm-hmm. three weeks old. My parents were very young and they weren't in a position where they felt like they could care for me. Um, so that automatically begins yeah. a traumatic yeah. experience as a child, even though at three weeks old, you're not old enough to know who's who. Of course. You kind of know the difference, mm-hmm. right? And so my brother and I were left with my grandmother. Um, my mother subsequently ended up being addicted to drugs. My father was kind of in and out. He mm-hmm. wasn't really present. Um, another experience that I had with my mother during my freshman year in high school, we were actually homeless for the entire winter. So mm-hmm. we slept in a van inside of a church yeah. in a car wash where my mom was working. Um, I've experienced teenage pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um I had my son three weeks before I graduated high school, which meant that a lot of people felt like, yeah. <laughs> that's it, your story's over, mm, right? Yeah. Um, so child molestation is something I've mm-hmm. had experience with as well. Um, so a lot of different things come with um, having a parent 
that's mm-hmm. drug addicted mm-hmm. or um, growing up in a certain environment. We always talk about 53206 in mm-hmm. Milwaukee, right? It's the worst. I think I've lived yeah. on every block in 53206, yeah. right? So um, there are a lot yeah. of experiences that come with that. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma doesn't have to be necessarily inflicted by a parent or a custodial person exactly. either. Um, so with that, once I wrote my first book and I started to tell my story and I started to understand how my story was helping others mm-hmm. as I pursued my education, I wanted to look more at policies that we're using because I feel like if we can assess trauma early yes. on within children, yes. we can help them and prevent a lot of the things that come with that later on in life. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we start to maybe look at some policies or develop programs or look yeah. at on an educational level how we can train educators mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. how to assess this or see it and deal with yes. it right away and yes. um, we can essentially prevent some of the subsequent trauma that yeah. may happen um so that's why i decided to look at a concentration on childhood trauma for my phd yeah i love love all of that and we'll kind of dissect um each piece just to to a degree because i want people to definitely go and purchase the book because the book is called hope it is and so how can they purchase it because i want to make sure people know that you can go purchase it let's support our own (laughs) um it's definitely a story of healing um and i think it's just amazingly written um, you definitely pour your heart out in this. I do, yes. So right now I don't have hard copies available. Mm-hmm. I'm working on my third book. I put myself on punishment and more hard <laughs> copies until I finish. However, Hope is available on Kindle and Amazon Books. So if you go to Amazon under the books section, you can search Hope by Nicole Peterson. Uh, my last name was different when I written that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you search Hope by Nicole Peterson in Amazon Books, you should see it there and it's available on Kindle. Awesome. Awesome. Um, And now, Nicole, that last part you talked about, just like um, educating educators and so they can be more trauma informed care. What is funny is that um, so people know that I have a private practice, the volunteer counseling consulting agency here that I operate part time, um, but full time. I am a school-based mental health therapist. Nice. And so I provide that trauma-sensitive training, um, the consultations, just helping teachers to be more trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that definitely is a struggle because you you have a mix of teachers. You have, like, those newer ones that's, right. like, all in, you know, willing to take different suggestions. And right. then you have the ones, the seasoned ones, mm-hmm. that's just, like, they know what they're doing. Uh-uh, that's unacceptable. Yes. I can't, like... Um, coddle this kid or or you know kind of give this kid some lead way but I'm just like oh you don't have to do that like you still got to be firm Mm -hmm. even if a kid has experienced trauma but the thing about what I try to um, inform the educators is that suggestions tips techniques that I provide is beneficial for every kid whether they have trauma or not right but I think you should always assume Mm -hmm. um trauma has happened Um, Because you definitely don't want to be the one that's re-traumatizing a student. Like I've had sessions where students have been like, that teacher is my trigger. And I'm just like, oh, man, I was like, oh, so, okay, I got to have this conversation with the principal, you know. And But for a kid to be able to articulate that, that's big. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk about just you as a child, Mm -hmm. like growing up with grandma so how old was how old was grandma like when she got you guys do you early 40s okay so she was like she was was a young young. she was a young grandma okay so what was that journey like because again we're talking about like um just different times of growing up yes um so what was that so this was early 80s okay my age (laughs) (laughs) but don't look it early 80s um my grandmother 
she raised us honestly to not know the difference. So we okay. thought that my aunt and uncles were our siblings, my brother and I. Oh, wow. We, well, you, you all were just that close because yes, they yes. were still young. Yes. they were. Okay. My mom's one of my grandmother's oldest children. She's oh. her second, and so she still had kids at home younger oh, wow. than my mom. Okay. And my brother and I didn't understand that that yeah. wasn't our mother. And to the day she died, that's what we called mama. Like, that yeah. was mom for us. And I think that's in our community, that's what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, no offense to my mother, but I call my mother by her nickname. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my grandmother is yeah. mama. Yeah. Um. So she raised us. To where we didn't know the difference at all. And my mother, she had actually come back when I was four. Mm. And when she came back and she came to the door and she's like, I'm your mom. I'm like, mm-mm, no, you're not. Like, I don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, so had you seen mom, like, we had prior then, like, at family functions? No, or No. She had left the state. And oh, we, okay. My grandmother didn't know where she was. My grandmother didn't know she was alive. Oh, God. Um, so she, did, I think that was her way of kind of protecting us not talking to us about her yeah because she didn't even know wow where my mother was mm-hmm. for four years um so wow. when my mom came back of course you know i'm sure one part of my grandmother is happy she's of safe and she's here of but course. the other part is like girl where you right. been <laughs> hey, so right. she hadn't explained that to us we had to actually have that conversation at four and five like no this isn't your real mother right this is your mom and these are her brothers and sister so wow. um we were we were raised i mean my grandmother raise us as her children yeah yeah yeah. so growing up what what was it like growing up with grandma did you guys talk about mental wellness or like anything oh no no. i I, I mean i think still to this day transparency is an issue in our community yeah we never talked about how are you feeling or Mm. what do you it was always kind of a you're strong Mm-hmm, and you need mm-hmm. to kind of suck it up and go, mm. you know. And in some ways that helps you yeah. as a child. But yeah. in other ways it's kind of like, I got things going on, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. And then you go to school. And then yeah. there's people there who don't understand because we're not transparent. Yeah. And we don't explain to the teachers or the staff there, this child may have gone through this yes. X, Y, Z. Yes. And so they, they don't know what kind of support to offer you. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of going through these early stages of life really trying to figure things out but it's hush hush you're not really comfortable Mm. talking about it you're not really comfortable saying i'm a little confused now this lady's back she says she's my mom Mm. (laughs) where has she been what's going on and we also later found out that while my mom was gone she had another child that we so did mom raise that child she didn't she left her in the other state when she came back here and didn't tell us okay um so we didn't know about her until i was seven Wow. And when we're all a year apart, me, my brother, really? and my sister. Yeah. So oh, my brother's goodness. the oldest and me. And then I have a sister younger than me. And so that that's another element that you exactly. throw that in. It's like, wait a minute. I've got a sister. Not just. And, you oh. know, no knock against any other culture. But in our culture, yeah. your mother's kids, those are your real siblings. Right? Yes. So yes. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. It'll be different if I found I had a sibling on my daddy's yeah. side. That's like, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. but my mother has another child. Wait, now we got to process this. Now we got to figure out Gosh, yeah. why I don't know my sister and what's going on. She's in a totally different state. So mm-hmm. um, those are things that we really didn't talk about, though. We really didn't verbalize them. Mm-hmm. We just kind of moved on. 
Mm, so mom comes in the picture i'm mama and it's explained to y'all like well this is your mom she just went away but she's back now right so were you guys thinking like oh okay well we'll go live with her now or did mom come live with you guys well initially my grandmother was kind of resistant to us going with her okay but um she gave in okay yeah it took a little while and she said hey you can take them um and my mother was struggling because she was young um, mm. When she had me, she was 18. By the time she was 19, she had all three of us. Okay. So she was young, um, and she was trying to find her way. She wasn't uh, into drugs at that point immediately. Yeah. Um, but we all know, like, by mid-80s, late-90s, crack was everywhere. Yeah. In Milwaukee. It was, right? yeah. Um, and she fell victim to that. Mm. And so once she had fallen victim to that, my brother is a little more headstrong, and mm. he's a little more, oh, I'm not dealing with you. So he... Oh, so he... went with my grandmother. He was like, "No, I'm not." Okay. And I was always kind of like the ride or die kid, right? Like, oh, <laughs> like no, she's yeah. okay. She gonna get <laughs> yes. it, right? So I kind of, yes. and to this day, she be like, "That's my ride or die." Like, <laughs> I'm like, "No, she gonna get it. She'll get yes. it together." And so my mm-hmm. grandmother and I started to bump heads because okay. she was like, "You're just like your mom. You just like mm-hmm. if you call me over my grandmother's house and she'd be like, what y'all eat today? Or are y'all clothes clean?' I would lie and be like." He is my brother. I'm like, he's being dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine. Oh, we wow. got clean clothes. We ate. You know, I would try to yeah. defend her all yeah. the time. Yeah. And so these defense mechanisms started coming. It was like, don't mm. talk about her. She's mm. fine. You know? Um, so we started to go through that phase. And then my grandmother and I were bumping heads constantly. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's like, why are you so busy defending, defending this woman this, yeah. that she probably was thinking, like, I raised yes. you. Yes. And we had that battle forever. Like, mm. it went on and on. I, I can I can see that I definitely can see that because, and and the it, what is interesting when I work with families and we have those dynamics whether it be like the mother and the father that's not together and mm-hmm. like you know if the mother is gone away or the father is gone away that kid is heavily like well you know my father did this for me mm-hmm. or did that and you know the other parent is like but they haven't even been yes. in their lives you and, feel forced to pick exactly but I was like but you know what like it's easier for them to project like this love and uh, this unconditional love for somebody that isn't present mm-hmm. um, because they've created this fantasy yes. of what this person is like yes, versus you know they have you they know you love them and you care for them that you are there for them you discipline them mm-hmm. but it, 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 it's a different thing because they've created this yeah. world of a how this person of is distorted. yes Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so for me, that was my grandmother. She was the more of the disciplinarian. She was more of the person who wanted to make sure that yeah. I was on the right track. Mm-hmm. And from my mom, was kind of, eh, she's a little inconsistent. Yeah. But as a kid, you like that. You like, bit, you, right? <laughs> you love that. Yeah. So it's like, like oh. I get to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we had that battle for a long time. The dynamics yeah. there were really strained. And mm. it, my brother was always, like, my grandmother was his best friend. He would tell her everything, yeah. you know. And, like, for me, that was my mom. It would be like, yeah. I didn't let them talk about you. Or I didn't, I, I'm not going to tell them this. I'm not going to tell them mm. that. So, yeah, it was it was rough. And then you figure, as a child, I'm still holding all of these things in yes. internally. Yes. Right? So, yeah. Yeah, so what was that in you that longed for that relationship with mom? You know, I think... When you're around your peers mm-hmm. and you have peers who have a mom. And mm-hmm. again, when you talk about that time frame in the 80s, nobody really had a dad. It wasn't really okay, yeah, popular. Yeah, you know, you didn't yeah, really see dads. Yeah. Um, but people had mom. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was kind of a shame almost. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to allow people to think that I don't have what yeah. they have. Yeah. So I, I kind of 
fantasized or made up this, you know, yeah. like great relationship. Even though you never saw mom at school functions, like mm-hmm. a lot of people never met mom, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. But if when you see your peers doing something and you have that kind of shame associated with it, then you make up your own story about mm-hmm. how it happened. And and again, dad didn't really bother me because mm-hmm. you didn't really see dads. They weren't. Yeah. Now I can say I see a lot more. <laughs> you know, and I do shout yeah. out to my brothers, right? Because yes. they they be yes. on it. Like, but um, in the eighties. Dad wasn't really a factor. Yeah. He was like, eh, nobody has a dad. We all over mm. here and we hanging out with my mom and that's it. So Yeah. So just seeing your peers talk about like, oh yeah, my mom did yes. this or even see their moms coming to get them from school or coming mm-hmm. to those functions. Yeah, or going to their houses, right? Like I yeah. had friends who were really close to their moms and when I would go stay the night at their house and I would see the interactions with their mm. moms, it's like, wow, that's that's crazy. Like yeah. yeah. So then when you would go with mom, would you try to recreate like what you saw? In your peers' home to have like that more of that relationship, mother daughter relationship with mom. I don't think that I felt that way. Okay. I mean, I've always to this day I've always accepted people for who they are, mm. and I allowed them to be who they are. Even mm-hmm. as a child, I yeah. was I was that way. Um, you can be comfortable being you mm-hmm. around me, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Um, even if I'm not necessarily happy about it, mm-hmm. um, I've always allowed her to just be who she was in that space, and. As an adult, it actually kicked in for me what I was doing at that time. I didn't know then, mm. um, but I actually was wa- watching one of the Red Table Talks with oh, uh, Jada yes, Pinkett yes. And she was talking about her father, and she said she had come to the realization that as a child, you kind of assume that your parent's job is to be your parent, and their whole life revolves around mm. being your parent. Yeah. And you don't understand that they're still a human being, and they still have their own things, and sometimes that doesn't really correspond with them being your parent and we hold grudges against our parents for that Um, but even as a child I understood that you can't do that because I would say well she's living her life and she's making decisions that she Mm -hmm. wants to make for Mm -hmm. herself so if it doesn't really vibe with me being her child I get it because she's still human Um, and even though I'm not necessarily on drugs or anything like that I make decisions for myself sometimes Mm -hmm. that aren't the best thing for my kids right you know what I mean things that they could say why you do that if you love us you know what I mean and I think that that's a piece of knowing that we all have that selfish like nature at some point Mm -hmm. I think just sometimes you know us as mothers we do like um, allow our kids to overrule that but then I think every now and then we're just like well you know what I need Mm -hmm. to do this for me Mm -hmm. um you know, yeah. So. so I've always been accepting of her doing that, yeah. even if it was things that were were not good for her. Mm-hmm. I've always understood that she's a human mm-hmm. and she has to live the way she wants to live. Yeah. And and right now she's clean. She's been clean for a very long time, Amen. and we're That's working awesome. on our relationship at this That's point. Awesome. So. That is awesome to hear. And I think that gives the listeners, those who um, may have a similar background, um, an understanding and gives them the hope, Mm -hmm. like your book is titled, um, to know that relationships can be mended. Um, You can learn to forgive Mm -hmm. um, and acknowledge people for who they are. Yes, you have to learn to forgive because you'll walk around bitter. And I went through that phase. Like in my early 20s, I was just mad. Mm. Mad for no reason. Just mad. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Who wants to walk around like that all the exactly. time? Because that's not going to make anyone change what they're doing. Exactly. You know, like, it's just affecting you and your exactly. well-being. I developed an ulcer in my early 20s. Who does that? Like, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm mad. You know what yes. I mean? Like, just angry with people. Yes. And I was like, I can't live like that. I can't. And furthermore, how do you not forgive people? Like, how do you yeah. 
walk around because there are things that you've done that you want to be forgiven mm. for. No matter yeah. what your transgression is, you have some, <laughs> right? Yes. So, um, yeah, you have to forgive. It's imperative. Yes. So I know in your book, um, you, you talked about being in the Bureau's care. Yes. Um, let's talk about that because for so many kids, especially like in this day and age, that is their reality. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk a little bit. How did you end up in the Bureau's care and that even that process of going through that for you? Yes. So I was probably about two or three. I'm say closer to two going mm-hmm. on three. And as I said before, my grandmother had other children that were mm-hmm. in the home. Um, she has three sons and two daughters, my mm-hmm. mom being one of the daughters. And so one of her three sons was still at home with us. Mm-hmm. And my brother had actually mentioned to someone at our daycare that they saw one of my uncles touching me mm-hmm. in an inappropriate manner. Um, it's not something that I can say I vividly recollect Yeah, yeah. Um, because I was so young, mm-hmm. but I can vividly recollect the process after that. Mm-hmm. So they had come and they removed both me and my brother from the home. And we okay. were talking with social workers about what happened, demonstrate yeah. what happened, um, show us this, show us that. Mm-hmm. And it's just that's confusing as well because it's like, <laughs> well, I don't know what you're really asking me to do or what the purpose is behind this Mm -hmm. or why are we going through this process and you have my grandmother she's very stressed out because at that time it was before my mom had come back Mm -hmm. um so it puts her in a position where this is my grandchild and she's saying something happened however this is my child you know that's that's a very conflicting situation um especially given that he wasn't 18 yet Mm -hmm. um so it's not like she viewed him as a grown-up exactly you know he was a still a teenager at that time um so we would go and meet with the social worker and they would ask us all these questions. The lady's name was Nancy. Like, how do you remember that from two? I don't know. <laughs> right. But I, I, remember, I remember she that. gave us graham crackers and she was nice mm. and she would um, go through things with us. And we did end up back in the care mm. of my grandmother, but my uncle was taken out of the house actually. So, okay. um, yeah, that was also a confusing experience because then we still, my grandmother and I still had that kind of tension going on too, because it's like, did that really happen? I don't know. And you like know? you said, you were two. Yeah. So it was like. Yeah. So. And then I don't your, know. I can't say. And it wasn't you that said. Right. It was your right. brother. Right. But he was right. only three. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. you know, we, that was kind of an unsaid tension as well. Yeah. Within the family, because it was like that eventually became my favorite uncle. Right. Like mm-hmm. when I got older and I was seeing him again, I was really attached to him. I wanted to be with him all the time. And so then it was like, how come you want to be in his face all the time? Did that really happen? Why aren't you scared of them? You know what I mean? So that was uh, an experience as well. Yeah. yeah. And I think for people to understand, um, because I specialize in, in trauma, especially with kids, when they're that young, they can't dissociate like, you know, this person is bad yes. and they did something bad. It's like, oh, this person loves me. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't do anything to hurt me. Right. And like, too, you don't really have um, the wherewithal to be like, oh, that is wrong. Like, yeah. Exactly. Because if <laughs> we're talking about stages of development, like, you know, you're starting to learn or, right. or know like it's other parts of your body that's there mm-hmm. um, and that can do things or whatever, but you're too right. Like you don't, <laughs> you don't really know. You, what is that even don't. for? Like, I don't, exactly. Yeah. You don't, yeah. you don't know that. Um, but one thing I wanted to touch on because you experience that. And oftentimes um, people don't realize how like you may not be able to uh, remember a situation, mm-hmm. but your body does. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you ever had any triggers that your body just like started um, 
like being dysregulated, just like emotionally dysregulated that you can recall? Yeah. So one thing that I can clearly recall to this day, actually, is if you try to tickle me, I will Mm -hmm. urinate automatically. Oh, wow. And I want to say that that's probably something that it may have initiated with. Yeah. Because it didn't matter what was going on. Mm -hmm. If you attempt to tickle me, that's my reaction. So mm. those are things that parents should probably pay attention to, yeah, you know, like yeah. why that's kind of weird. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Kids like to play. They like to be tickled. Exactly. I hate it to this day. Do not tickle me anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like I will yeah. like now I fight you. Like we're going to mm. really square up because yeah, I yeah. hate it. You know what I mean? Like do not. Yeah. And a part of me instinctually wants to believe that that's probably where some of that initiated, yeah. even though I can't really remember. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So. But like, right. Like you said, the reaction usually to somebody being tickled is like, oh my gosh, this We're is playing. so funny. Yeah. This you is, know, yeah. but instantly for you, it's mm-hmm. urination. Yes. And so there is a correlation between that. Right. Um, and so I'm glad you said that it's something for parents to be aware of. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'll definitely do in the show notes is kind of um, list some signs and symptoms for parents to kind of um, be aware of, mm-hmm. especially of sexual abuse um, in children. Right. Um, so, yeah. But yeah, that was something I definitely wanted to touch on because people, I think, don't realize how our body stores that yes. memory. Yeah. We may not have that memory in our brain, but mm-hmm. our body stores that memory. Yeah. And you react without exactly. even knowing. Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then you go through the whole process of being in, in, in the care of the state. So were you in foster homes? No, or? not during that time. Now, initially, when my father... Well, my father ended up leaving me essentially with my grandmother because my mother left the state. Okay. Um, She called my father from what I'm told because I was only three weeks old. So Mm -hmm. I I don't want to tell anyone else's story. However, my understanding is she called my father and she told my father, I'll come back if you get the kids going. So I can't handle being a parent. They were married at the time, my mom and dad, even though they were young. They were only 18, but they were married. I mean, she said, I can't handle the kids. So I'll come back if you get rid of the kids. My father, my brother wasn't his, so he had no say there. Gotcha. Um, but he actually had taken us to foster care initially. Wow. And he told them that he wanted me with a white family for some reason. Huh. Um, and so <laughs> they had given me to a white family because my father's hmm. white. Oh. Um, let me clarify that. So I don't okay. know if he felt like deep down inside that would be a better environment. I'm not sure. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. But that's what his initial request was. So they had taken me to a white family. And my grandmother, she could immediately get my brother because he had no say there. Oh. And so she had my brother, and I was with this white family. And my grandmother, she didn't appreciate it, right? And mm, she, my brother course. kept asking for me because at that oh. time, he's 16 months old. He knows he, he has knows, a sibling. Yeah. Um, so he kept asking for me and asking for me. So my grandmother, she said, okay, well, we're going to call the people and see if we can get a visit with mm-hmm. her. So my grandmother went and picked me up, and she never took me back. Mm. So she was going back and forth to court fighting this foster family to say, wow. no, this is my granddaughter. I want her. I want her with her brother. This is essentially all they have is each other. Of course. Um, so eventually the judge ended up saying, okay, you can keep her. But it was a, a long, hard-fought battle for my grandmother wow. because my father legally had, had to, say, to say, you know, yeah. and um, he had come to court and signed his rights over. He did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she told him at that time, we don't want anything from you. We won't bother you. But I want these kids together. And so, mm. yeah, that's how that went. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What is your relationship with, like, dad to this day? Do you have one or? I do. Yeah, okay. we're um we're getting to know each other. We've probably been 
getting to know each other for the last 10 years. I'd wow. Say. We're still getting to know one another. Did he reach out or were you at the place where you was like, I want to know, I want to have a relationship with my father? And He was always kind of in and out. Okay. I would see him sporadically, um, sometimes years in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always knew who he was and I would see him sporadically. And as an adult, um, I don't think that our relationship actually got to the point where we were good until he married his current wife and he mm. has one of those wives now who's like nope i'm not going yeah okay. like wow <laughs> she's like, yeah you will and so she reaches out to me all the time and wow. she says no nah, this is what we're doing tomorrow we're having the zick christmas <laughs> um, this is what we're doing i had yeah. never met my father's siblings yeah. i didn't know anything wow. about my cousins until mm-hmm. she said nope everybody's coming to the house you're gonna come too this is what we're doing <laughs> um yeah. a little background on that my father's parents were really racist Oh, gosh. Um, so that was another reason why he couldn't keep me and my brother because gotcha. they told him when I was born, don't bring the nigger baby to our house. Mm. They literally wow. told him that. Um, so I wasn't welcome. And so at 19, when my mother left, he was sitting there like, well, my parents oh, aren't going to help me with right. these two black kids. Oh, so gosh. <laughs> what yeah, am so I going to do? do? Yeah. So um, when I started to meet his family, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, so who races around here? You know? <laughs> Uh, even today, like on my family functions, I have two sons, right? And for right. me, my sons are black men. Yeah. And so when we walk in my dad's house, I'm like, hey, y'all. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, you're thinking like, who mad? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. It's an interesting wow. dynamic. But my dad and I, we're um we're getting to a good place now. He asked yeah. me for a date on New Year's Eve. So Aww. he's going to tell me to see the Harlem Globetrotters, <laughs> which we should have done when I was 12. However, <laughs> I'm accepting, and I'm willing yeah, to go. So we're yeah. gonna go check out a Harlem Globetrotters game oh. on New Year's Eve, and um, yeah, we're just get we're gonna know each other now. Awesome. Um, so he and my mom are kind of getting to a place. My mom actually Thanksgiving weekend. Mm-hmm. This was the first time she apologized to me. Wow! And it was huge. Like she couldn't do it in person. She wrote a letter. I get it. Yeah. But when I read it, I bawled. Oh my god! Because I'm like, this is. Was that what like I kind of like the nail for you? Yes. Like. Yes, it was absolutely her acknowledging her part yeah. in the situation yeah. and not she went through this phase where every time you talked about it, she'd break down crying. And she, she's the victim. Mm. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. like, oh, my God, can you get it together? Like, listen, yeah. I'm just trying yeah. to tell you what my experience has been. Mm-hmm. When I wrote that book, oh, she was livid. She was livid. So she read the book. Did she read it the book or people were telling her? People were telling her first. Okay. And that was worse. Right? Ooh, yeah, because when is. people tell you a story, they telling you about the <laughs> bad do. stuff. Like, girl, you was right. on crack. Like, yes. <laughs> but nobody read the part that says, I love my mother. I love my mother. Mm, she, nobody called wow. her and told her that. Wow. Right? So of she course. was, ooh, she was upset. She was like, what in the world? You know? <laughs> yeah. She didn't read that book for a very long time after I wrote it. Wow. And I think. Once she actually read it and understood it from my perspective, yeah. that's when she started to acknowledge what her part was. And still, again, I don't think she's guilty of, of anything, course. right? Yeah. But understand that I have a story and the part that you played Play in it, it has nothing to do with me. This yeah. is my story. Um. So, yeah. But now we are actually, like I said, we're in a good place. And yeah. she's we're going go to go out to eat for Christmas Eve. Oh. and. This year is the first time she That's took amazing. pictures of my kids and I. So, so oh, we've been, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah. So you get the letter and you are just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I think um, and let's let's talk about forgiveness for a moment. Would you have said that you were walking in forgiveness prior to the letter? I was absolutely walking in it. I don't think I was there. Okay. I think I was 
still struggling. Okay. Um, my mother had been reaching out to me. Like, mm-hmm. she was really trying, um, but she was trying to love me her way. Mm. And I don't love the same way she loves yeah. because of my experiences. Mm. Um, and so I would push her away. Yeah. And I would say, eh, nah, I'm not really feeling yeah. it. And I didn't feel bad about it yeah. because of my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but that letter, it kind of, for me, made me say, you know what? Let me try to meet her halfway. Mm. Let me try to see if she'll try to love my way and I'll try to love yeah. her way if we can meet somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah, that actually, it, it helped a lot. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think people don't realize, right, when you get that thing for somebody taking accountability. Because mm-hmm. like you said, um, you were a baby. Yes. You, ha- you know, you couldn't control right. anything at all. And I think that's something we have to remember, especially with children, mm-hmm. um, regardless of how they respond and react to situations. Because I'm just thinking of like when I have parents in my office or teachers, and they be like, they know what they doing. I can't believe. It. And I say, you can't take it personally. Mm-hmm. They're helpless. You can't. It's not their fault. Yeah. It's not their fault. They're helpless. Yes. Yes, and especially in our community, our kids are disproportionately affected by trauma. Yes. Disproportionately. Like, it's ridiculous. And uh, it, it doesn't have to be that you have a neglectful parent or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, I'm, I often tell people, I have a son, he's turning 21 mm-hmm. in May. Wow. And, oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> He'll be 21 in May. Oh and sometimes when I talk to him about police and police yeah. brutality, mm-hmm. right, his yeah. attitude, given that I've worked in law enforcement briefly <laughs> i'm kind of like would you kill me like he just oh, he gosh. really has this chip on his shoulder mm-hmm. when it comes to police and i had to think about it even though i'm sure my child is being exposed to some trauma mm-hmm. right i'm not of a perfect course, parent yeah yeah but when i think about that reaction children are exposed to trauma by things like the trayvon martin case mm-hmm. right my yeah. son literally he was probably about 13 at that time and he wow. had to watch television and see in his mind we don't matter as black men mm. and they can do whatever they want to do to us and he carries that to this day Goodness. he carries that around and i had to really assess that and say you know what he almost has ptsd from watching the news yes and people doesn't understand that vicarious trauma that secondary trauma is real you don't have to have experienced right. the trauma it could be from somebody else's story mm-hmm seeing it on the news every day it was being infused like you couldn't turn on another channel without seeing Mm -hmm. this story yes and any black male who was a teenager at that time it was personal for them yes that was them and i'm sure you know parents were in the back because even for me my son was a little younger he might have been like eight Mm -hmm. um but for me it was just like that could be my son yes yes yeah, when the verdict came down, I texted my son, and he was like, I can't believe it. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't know what yeah. else to say to him. And it wasn't our drama or our trauma, exactly. right? But I knew how much that affected him. And as a parent, I was you watch Trayvon's mother mm-hmm. and her journey, yeah. and you're like, wow, that absolutely could be me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be inflicted by a parent or, no. you know, it, these days with social media, they <sighs> can watch anything yes you can just watch people get shot in the head right yes. no problem Goodness. so yeah there's trauma all around and our kids are being more and more exposed to it because of the technology and the world that we live in exactly. these days 
Exactly. Wow. And so now um, you're you're back with grandma and you're growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, Now let's talk about the teen years for Nicole. What was that experience like for you and how heavily involved was mom? Were you guys ever at any point like physically living with her full time or would you just go between? So I was with mom. Okay. But your brother. My brother was, he was over it. (laughs) Um, I was with mom for the most part. Now we got dropped off here or there sometimes depending on what was going on um, but I was with mom for the most part teenage years was attitude problem I had the worst attitude ever as a teenager I, I'm mm-hmm. guilty and I'm sorry to any teachers that may be listening um, <laughs> I, I had an attitude problem mm-hmm. and but was it all your built-up anger course, of course that. and that's what people didn't understand yeah, you know yeah. and again because we aren't transparent because I'm not going to walk into the school building and be like hey this is going on of course you know what I mean so um I really had a chip on my shoulder. I walked around mm-hmm. most of my teenage years that way. And my mother, um, at that point, she was really heavy into drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my solution to the problem, albeit wrong, was to sell drugs. Mm-hmm. Because then I can get the money. Mm-hmm. Right? And yeah. if that's where the rent money is going, then I'll just get it back. Yeah. Um, and so I started being involved with people who were in that lifestyle. And so my mother is using drugs, and I am with the people who are selling them and I'm selling them and mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing. Um, and at one point it had gotten bad and we didn't have a place to live. My mother was working at a car wash and she was washing cars for $2 a car. Mm, um, they were her to wash the car. Um, and so in the car wash, there was a church up the street who parked their van inside the car wash. And so we would sneak back into the car wash at night and sleep inside the van. Mm. And so at that point, it was my freshman year in high school. Yeah. Um, when you think about struggles with hygiene and things like that. Yes. Oh, goodness. I was really, I had it bad, right? I was, mm-hmm. I would go to friends' houses sometimes. And um, I had really good friends at that time who yeah. would let me come over and take okay. a shower. And Did they clothes. know what you were going through? My closest friends knew. Okay. Yeah. So they would help. You know, their parents didn't really know. And they would okay. wonder, like, like what's okay. this girl doing? Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> right. I had some really close friends who would always okay. had my back and be like, this is what we're wow. going to do. Um, but they couldn't help all the time, obviously, because they're kids, too. Yeah. Um, so that was a struggle. We slept there the entire winter. And mm. nobody knew. Goodness. Nobody knew that. What, what frustrates me um, the most in those instances and I, I always think if somebody would have built that relationship mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. yeah um and don't get me wrong to all my educators out there um I understand you you pick the profession because you love to educate kids and you want them to go on and succeed in life but I think the piece that I always see lacking especially for me being in the school mm-hmm. and the elementary school at that is that building the relationship yes. for the social emotional to, to be healthy. Then you will start to see the academics and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And so what I try to convey to the teachers is it takes nothing but like a couple of seconds when you do your morning check in. Don't be going over no math problems. Right. Ask how was your night? Mm-hmm. Because it starts there with asking the questions to be able to build the relationship. Mm-hmm. And be genuine about it. Because be kids know when they you're not know. genuine. They know. they know. They know. I work really hard. I coach young girls. Mm-hmm. Um, fifth through eighth grade are the girls yeah. I work with. And I work really hard for them to understand. I'm not just here to be your coach. 
right? Yeah. I pay attention. I'm in tune. I know what's going yes. on. I have a girl who I've coached since she was in fifth grade. She's in eighth grade now. And I'm paying attention to her body language, and I'm looking, and I'm like, something's yeah. not right. So I text mom, and I'm like, mm. something isn't right. What's going on? She's like, I'm so glad that you said that because me and her dad thought we were crazy. Like, wow. we see the same thing. And I'm like, nah, I'm going to sit her down. Yes. We need to, I need to pick her up. I need to take her to lunch. And yes. she's like, you always go above and beyond as her coach. Yeah, yeah I pay attention. Like, I'm yeah. not, when you're working with youth, you have a job to do, but it's so much bigger than that. It is. It's so much bigger. Like, you need to be paying attention. You need to understand that even though you may not have the solution. Now, exactly. personally, because I've had these experiences, I may be a little more keen more, of course, to what's of going course. on. But even if you don't have that experience, you know when something's not right. So if you're not comfortable, talk to someone else that you think may have a relationship with that child or yes. who may be able to reach out to them or understand them. Because, yes. yeah, we, we've got to catch that stuff. We've got to. Yes, we do. And, and I try to definitely convey that to educators, even individuals that are like youth care workers and things like that, for them to understand, you have to build a relationship first. Mm -hmm. You can't just come out the gate and, you know, you need to do this. You need to do that. Uh, <laughs> stop doing this. Stop doing uh, especially mm -hmm. if they've experienced or are currently experiencing and just like engulfed in traumas because yes. people don't understand kids oftentimes are going back to the same trauma every day every day every day or i i have my youngest it has just been diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder mm. right you cannot that's not going to work with my son no. you cannot just walk <laughs> up to him and be like i'm the boss and this no. my son is going to give you h-e-l-l -L, you hear me and he gonna go for the jugular because yes. <laughs> yes. let me and you're gonna take it personal you're gonna take it personal he's so intelligent and he knows <laughs> what buttons to very intelligent yes. kid but yes. he can be a jerk yeah if he feels like you're not genuine and you're just coming in and you're being authoritative oh he will drive you crazy his current teacher his dad and i were talking the other day and we were like she just doesn't like him we know mm. that she just doesn't like him and i get it you're human yeah yeah but i've told you <laughs> what we need to do to try to work with him and I've told you about his personality mm. and I came in the summer and I told you about my son's personality oh. and you know we got to figure out and I've asked her is does the district have something where you guys have experience with this because even though years ago I didn't know what ODD was or yeah. what you're saying but I know my son and I know his personality and I know that even though it has nothing to do with any traumas necessarily mm -hmm. um this is who he is and if you're coming in with this authoritative attitude he is not he's gonna push back yes he's gonna push, push back. back hard mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh gosh yeah I, it makes me think of the teachers i've had conversations um with their students for those of you who don't know what odd is is opp oppositional defiant disorder um but it just it, it really goes back to the individual just being really defined to authority um and so I, I try to give different strategies mm -hmm. for those teachers <laughs> and parents. And, yes, and, and oh, and the parents because I'd be parent, like, I'm like, man, you gotta play with me. Like, I say, what are you gonna do when you get a boss? I'm not gonna have a boss. I'm gonna be the boss. Okay, that's best for you. So you probably should concentrate on your education so you can be the boss because otherwise. Yeah. If you're in the drive-through taking orders, it's not gonna work for you. Okay, not so at all. <laughs> you you may want to take school seriously. Yes. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. We're we're gonna touch on that, just being a parent who has a child that's diagnosed with something. Mm -hmm. Um, because I know it especially in our community, um, it's hard to and I don't wanna say accept diagnosis, but like 
being <laughs> well yeah that too right mm-hmm. but being able to be like okay so how how do i have to start parenting differently mm-hmm. and it's not stating you're a bad parent you just have to be open to be able to parent Absolutely. a little differently yeah and so this is new for me we just got this diagnosis literally within the last few weeks so what what led you to even like getting him tested or going to see somebody um his teacher all the teachers that he's okay. had <laughs> thus far since k4 um <laughs> would say that they're having these struggles with him mm-hmm. that he's constantly if you say something he's got something to say back if you you know if mm-hmm. you're giving a direction he's kind of going to do things his way mm-hmm. um and so finally this we had a meeting with his teacher he's in fourth grade now we had a meeting with her and she's just like can you look into this and i was like of course so i took him to his pediatrician mm-hmm. um they did a kind of a survey kind of oh, thing yeah, amongst yeah. myself and the teachers i um, mean she came back and she said okay this is what it is um we had taken him to behavioral health when he was probably about five just because he was naughty at mm-hmm. that time or what i thought was naughty okay um and the behavioral health specialist had told us oh he probably just needs to grow up a little bit he's immature oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and i accepted that um and so now that he's nine he'll be 10 next year it's kind of like eh, i don't know if this is still just mm-hmm. naughty you know mm-hmm. what i mean he's not an aggressive child he's not he's just like i say he, he comes across as a jerk kind of mm. you'll be like oh, okay yeah. um so once we officially had a diagnosis his dad and i said okay we're going to learn what this is we're going to mm-hmm. read about what we can do because we realized we were punishing him for things that kind of were symptoms and you don't mm-hmm. want to do that you don't want to punish for symptoms you want to yes. kind of figure out how to work around symptoms so mm-hmm. we've been spending the last few weeks trying to develop a plan and figure out what we're going to do as far as home and what strategies the teachers can use with us to try to so it's new for us and Mm -hmm. we're accepting (laughs) Uh, we're still accepting learning to accept Um, but I think the most most important thing is to educate yourself Mm -hmm. because I didn't really know a lot about it and so I can't just take what the pediatrician tells me and say oh that's what it is Mm -hmm. let's go get it you know let's no, I want to know what this yeah. is. I want to know what I should look for. I want to know mm-hmm. how this could appear in adulthood. Yes. Um, and what kind of things we need to be doing to make sure that he's on the right track with this. Yeah. So, so then um, is he working with a therapist or soon be working with a therapist? He will be in February. Okay. So when we yeah. called, they couldn't schedule okay. him right away. We had to wait eight weeks. Um, oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, we're yeah. scheduled out <laughs> to February. <laughs> Um, and we're on the cancellation oh. list in case they can get him in sooner. Okay. And in the meantime, um, he's blessed to have parents who yeah. are very um, intuitive and mm-hmm. we are very open with him and we talk about things. So yeah. we're kind of filling in that spot right now, even though okay. we're not professionals, but just yeah. to kind of talk to him to say, okay, well, what's going on with you or right. how can we help? And we've seen some improvement actually since we started doing that. So and that's good. Yeah. I feel like once we can get him with a professional. Yeah. Then yeah. To really be to able get, to do yeah. more of that deep work. Yeah. No, that's good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Because I know with parents that's listening, yeah. that's like, man, and you know, because um, I get a lot of um, listeners that ask about their smaller kids. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I, and I always say it's kind of twofold with that because sometimes I'm just like you know sometimes kids being kids because mm-hmm. of the age but then it's just something for you to be mindful of right when you see those behaviors like what settings is it like is there any um triggers that's yes. going on for them like being just conscientious of all those things so thank you for sharing that yes yeah okay um oh but I think um to add on to that before we switch gears um because I know many other parents are like, but I don't want them to use that as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like as this is their excuse, because I get that a lot. Oh, that's my go-to <laughs> line. Yes. <laughs> you will not. Especially, yes. and I mean, 
I always tell people when when you're raising black men, that's a huge responsibility. Yes. Right? It's a mm. huge responsibility. Like I tell my sons, I'm not you you're gonna be somebody's husband, you're gonna be yes. somebody's father. I need for you to be a leader. I need yeah. for you to understand there are no excuses. Right. And so then when you have something like this that comes into play, it's almost like, oh, my goodness, they're trying to give him an excuse. No. Mm. So it really is. It's hard. It's hard to kind of balance that and mm-hmm. say, well, what do we do? And I'm still struggling with whether or not I tell my son this is a diagnosis. Mm. Right. I haven't told yeah. him that. I haven't yeah. talked to him about that. I've talked okay. to him about his personality yeah. and things I know about him and the way he's mm-hmm. behaving. Mm-hmm. But I, I haven't said, well, this is what. The doctor yeah. is saying, or this is a diagnosis, because mm-hmm. I do struggle with. You I don't, don't want, want you to, to feel like, like, oh, I can do this and say, oh, mm-hmm. I got ODD, so it's okay. Yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. It's not okay, right? And mm-hmm. it, and then knowing that a lot of um, mental health issues have are based in some type of hereditary mm-hmm. most times, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I look at his dad, and he don't want to work for nobody. He want to be his own boss, <laughs> right? Like he refuses. He will not. He has a photography company. He will not oh, let somebody tell him what time to, to clock in. He will not. And I'm like, he acts exactly like you. He's going to be all right. You yes. know, we don't need to, we just need to figure out what's going to work for him. Um, and so as a parent, yeah, I am still struggling with that. Mm. I'm not sure if I say this is what it is or mm. if I just work with it and we try to kind of mold him yeah. and maybe when he's a little older, talk with him about it. Yeah. Cause he's, he's open. Like, so he knows that he'll be going to see a therapist yes. and like, and open to it, it seems like. Yeah, because yeah. he's done it. When he And he okay. kind of enjoyed it when he was five and we took oh, him. Yeah. Um, the guy that we took him to, they would play with trucks and play therapy talk about. Play therapy the best. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. for little kids. Yeah. And so now, I don't know how he that looks like at nine up. going on ten, but. I have um, um some fifth graders. What is he, fifth grade? Fourth. Fourth. fourth yep. Yeah. So I have some fifth graders as well as the elementary school. So kindergarten through fifth grade. And we do a lot of play therapy. Okay. Um, okay. Because, yeah, talk traditional talk therapy ain't always the greatest for kids but being able to play um and sometimes they'll play out the stuff and you're like oh Mm -hmm. interesting Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and it's easier to communicate through Mm -hmm. the play so he might do if he's a really good therapist he i'm sure he'll implement some play yeah we hope so or we'll see another one i don't don't have a problem like that's the thing and that's the other thing i would tell parents you need to be an advocate you need to absolutely say I'm a part of these decisions and I get yes. to say what's what because a lot of times we'll kind of shrink and just say, oh, I don't know nothing about that. Nope. Mm. You got to learn. You got to learn. You got to educate learn. yourself mm-hmm. and don't be afraid to ask mm-hmm. and reach out to people because I think that is the biggest thing, you know, um, even if you don't know, like, you know, just just do do the research right. on it because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this your baby. Yeah. Yep. And you want them to be successful yeah. and nobody knows them the way you do nobody does yes i tell parents all the time you are the expert of your family Mm -hmm. yes i may be the expert or specialize in this Mm -hmm. but you you're the expert of your family right right so (laughs) and we can't do this without you Mm -hmm. so yeah so parents don't be afraid to ask questions um and, and and do the research yes to figure stuff out yes yeah so i know they like okay we jumping back we all over the place her story But I'm just like, y'all, it's it's like so much juiciness. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Um, Like, it's so beneficial because this is the juice that we need to be talking about in our community in order for people to to level up, to get to their next levels. Mm -hmm. Like, we got to start addressing these traumas um, and these experiences that we're having and being transparent. Yes. Um, 
because there's power in a conversation. Absolutely. Um, and so you're going through through high school, so the teenage years, mm-hmm. and you're living in the the van for the winter, mm-hmm. um, selling drugs to pay rent. I'm right. assuming, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what's what is going on after that? At any point, was there any teacher that noticed like a difference in your behavior or even like your attitude? Because you said you had like a chip on your um, shoulder mm-hmm. just with all that stored up and pent up frustration right. and anger. Did anybody Not be like, hey, like yeah. they just are like on? that girl has a really bad attitude. And that's mm. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, I started playing sports, though, my sophomore year in oh, high school. Basketball, um, basketball track. And so I had the same coach okay. for both. OK. And even though I didn't feel comfortable telling him everything that was going on, mm-hmm. I felt comfortable with him. And mm. we kind of just had this unspoken. I get it. OK. You know, and so I always felt like he was kind of a support system for me Mm. and it was unsaid um so once I started playing sports I think that I learned how to channel some of that aggression and um those attitudes and I just started to think like okay there's a bigger picture Mm -hmm. there's other things that I want to do that are beyond what these victimizations that Mm -hmm. I'm you know I'm I don't I don't want to live like that right Mm -hmm. so um in high school I was constantly on the honor roll I I played two sports at a time I but I didn't talk to anyone about what was going on mm. until I met a boyfriend. Oh, goodness, a boyfriend. <laughs> um, and that's the worst, right? <laughs> what because, grade was this? Uh, I met my son's father when I was in 10th grade. Okay. And, of course, that was who took my virginity. And yeah. he was the best thing ever. And yeah, of course. I could tell him everything, right? <laughs> I could talk to him about anything. Yeah. And then that's how you end up with a baby at 17, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> that was my outlet. That mm. was who I thought cared you know what I mean and I ended up moving in with him and his mom oh wow Um, and so when I was living there I got pregnant and it was I was going into my senior year of high school okay so I spent the entire senior year mad again because now I can't play sports like oh you know I'm I'm angry now all over again and then people are telling you oh Oh, yeah you done you can't do nothing else after this you're a statistic I will never forget the cheerleading coach I didn't even cheer and she just (laughs) she just was like she felt the need to tell me like I thought you were smart and you were going to college oh my goodness and I was like oh wow Shout out to her. I'm working my PhD now. Mm. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, you would have adults who would wow. say. And, it, yeah, it's not ideal for of a girl course, to be pregnant no, in senior high school, right? But once it's there, you don't down talk people. Or right. you don't make them feel like your life is over, mm. right? Because for some people, I'm, I'm a really strong-willed person. But mm-hmm. I know some people who would take that and run with it. Yes. Um, and that's why I started working with teenage girls. When I was in my early 20s, I started working with teenage wow. moms. To tell them, don't let people tell you what you can't do. Now, don't have mm-hmm. another one and another one and another one back to back. Right. Please don't do that. Right. However, you can you can do that. You can mm-hmm. raise your child and still go yes. on and do what you want to do. You know, like my son, he when I went to undergrad, he had to sit in some classes in color. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like <laughs> when, when I graduated from Alberta, we graduated, and I told him this yeah. is our bachelor's degree yeah we because you had to sit in so many weekend classes it's ridiculous like but we did it you know you can still persist and do you just need to understand that what your why is right so that actually gave me more ammunition 
Yes. And I, and I think if you already have that desire Mm -hmm. and you knew you were going to college, having a child didn't necessarily stop that. I think if anything, it motivated it even more. Cause you, but you already knew like I'm going to college. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) Mm -hmm. no, I had to take a couple years in between. I couldn't start until he was like two and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was behind a little bit. Mm -hmm. I didn't finish until I was 26 with my undergraduate degree, but I finished and I did it. And Alverno is, a great school that offers mm. classes every other weekend yeah. so you can still work full time and yeah. it's stressful mm-hmm. but of course <laughs> you can get it done you know of course. you can get yeah. it done so um i had started actually the job that i'm at now i started there when i was 19 wow so i've been there a long time and i went to work monday through friday and i went to school on saturday and sunday and we got it done so wow. yeah that's amazing, though. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, um, you know, so shouts out to all the teen moms that pursued their their careers and their passions yes. and and didn't fall into what people were saying, the naysayers. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a really great, great friend of mine. It's more like a sister, Nadia, and she was too a teen mom um, at 16. And so, you know, of course, you had those teachers giving the dirty looks yes. in the stairs and just like, mm-hmm. what she you fast. doing? Exactly. Yeah. But she she happened to be like one of the, the top 10 seniors mm-hmm. in our school. And, you know, and now she's a nurse practitioner. So it's like, nice. Nice. hey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. Of course. It's not the end of the world. And I would never tell a teenager who is not pregnant that it's not the end of the world <laughs> i want them to believe it is yeah however when i'm working with girls who are in that situation i make sure to tell them it, it's gonna be okay mm-hmm. you're gonna be all right and then you're gonna be out with your son who's gonna be 21 they think y'all on a date <laughs> <laughs> they will have my son to drink menu in a minute and i'm like wait like, wait a minute no, he's not yet this is not my date like it's okay and we we're we're this tight like we're really we have a bond and you know what i mean yeah. like it's not, again, it's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. And there are always pros and cons with any situation. Yeah. There are always pros and cons. Like, I'm not going to be, well, I'm, I don't want him to have kids anytime soon, right? He said mm-hmm. 28, so what's that, seven more years? Mm-hmm. I figure in seven <laughs> years I'll still be a little vibrant, right? Yes. Like, still, if I have a granddaughter, we can go hoop, right? Yes. We can go do stuff. So it's, yes. like, it's not the end of the world. It'll be okay. Yes. You'll be all right. Oh, that's amazing. And so um, in, in high school, so you you, you met your boo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you experience any other traumas that you would say? And, and definitely we, we recognize, you know, being homeless, mm-hmm. that, that was definitely a, a part of trauma for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Was there any other ones added on, like as you were just going through uh, your childhood and and your teenage years i think that there are so many things that kind of it's like a trickle down effect mm-hmm. right you you start to self-sabotage almost yes so there aren't things that i can necessarily pinpoint and say oh this happened or that happened however as a result of me being homeless let's mm-hmm. say um I, I remember i went to school and i had written about this in my book um, there was a girl in my class, and she was really mean, like, all the time mm. to everybody. And one day, she we're sitting in class, and I was kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. I didn't really talk a lot. And she's like, you had on those pink socks all week. Mm. That was the only pair of socks I had, right? So right, it was yeah. like, things like that are traumatic, right? Yes. You're, <laughs> yes. In high yes. school, in high everybody school. turned around and look at you like, damn, you haven't had on those pink socks a long time. Like, yes. It's kind of like those kind of things come with it. And so mm. you have those constant traumatic experiences that are like, I don't even want to go back to school. Right. Mm-hmm. Like 
people are going to be looking at me crazy. Like, yes. in elementary school, our clothes were dirty, right? They yeah. were like, oh, you, Denise, your pants are dirty. I know. Like, we wash our clothes in a tub with dishwashing liquid, you know, yeah. trying to iron them dry, trying to. So those kind of things are really traumatic yeah individually yeah. right and you carry that stuff around and it, it affects you in parenthood mm, oh my, my let's talk so about spoiled. that my kids are so spoiled oh my goodness mm. people it's not i'm they're not spoiled to the point where they're disrespectful children or anything mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. they're very very entitled children mm. they're so entitled and it's because i refuse to let them have any of the experiences that i had yeah. and i remember my youngest son's father we were married and my son's room was just filled with toys. Every time we went to the store, it was like, can I have that? Of course, get it, yeah. Mm. And internally, it was because I didn't have that. And so yeah. I was like, you can have whatever you want. Get yeah. the toys. Yeah. And my son's father came to me one day, and he's like, you got to get rid of some of those toys. Like, you can't just buy him a toy every time you're in the store. You That's not acceptable. Yeah. And I was like, yes, I can. Like, why can't he have all the toys? And so we had, like, this rift. Like, we were struggling about mm-hmm. it because... He didn't have the experiences that I had necessarily, mm. so he didn't understand. And I didn't have the wherewithal at that time to explain to him why, why? or understand why. And it was yeah. like, you're spoiling him. You're making him think that he can get anything when he wants it. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, that's my baby. He can. You know, like, yeah. that's how I show mm. that I'm a loving mother, right? Mm. Because nobody ever showed me that. So it's like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a good mom because I go to the store and I can buy him things. Buy him and whatever he yeah, wants. Yeah, you know, he can go eat all the snacks in the kitchen. Like, but when I was little, right, we didn't mm. have that option. I can remember coming home sometimes and trying to eat mustard, mm. right? We didn't have anything. There was yeah. nothing there. So when you go in my kitchen, even now, it's every kind of cereal. What you want? Get, get it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You can have whatever you want because I know as a child how that felt to not have mm. those things. And so it carries over. And yes. it's like you have to start to be aware of how your experiences are going to affect how you parent. And yeah. I'm scaling back now and I'm figuring it out, but it took mm-hmm. me a long time. It yeah. took me a long time to understand that. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and let's talk a little bit just about brain development too. Mm-hmm. Um, experiencing trauma stunts brain development. Yes. So socially, emotionally, you know, people may be chronologically 18, mm-hmm. but really socially, 12. mostly exact 12 or even younger. Yeah. Yeah. And so for you now having worked through um, a lot of your traumas, can you recall like, man, I was chronologically this age, but socially mm-hmm. mostly like I was really this young. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that probably contributed to my first divorce. <laughs> so how old were you when you first got married? 30. 30. Okay. I was 30. And I thought I was in a really good place emotionally. Wow. Right? I, had, I, thought I, I thought I had it. Like okay. I had it all together. Yes. I mean, when we got married and he had some things he needed to work through as well. Mm-hmm. And so you had two people who hadn't addressed what was going on with them. Mm-hmm trying to do this grown-up stuff and have yes, a family of course. and we were like because y'all we 30 and you know of course oh, yeah. at 30 you need to uh-huh. <laughs> we have a child we're 30 we got this yeah you know i mean like it's under control and he had a daughter when we met and mm-hmm. i had a son we met so now you got to blend the family mm. now you got to work with having your kids together now you got to yes. work with all the stuff y'all bring in yes emotionally <laughs> and mentally yes and it didn't it didn't mesh because I wasn't mature enough to understand that when he would say certain things to me and point things out. Like I had a mm. friend that um, she was kind of emotionally draining and mm. spiritually draining. And I didn't see it at that time yeah. because I was still in that place where she and I thought alike. Yeah, We were mm. negative people. We thought alike. Wow. Um, and he would point out to me like, you do realize that she's kind of draining. 
and I would be like, what? You, you got your nerve. Uh-uh. Like, you know what I mean? And we would have those battles. And it was like, in hindsight, she and I, I love her, mm-hmm. but we're not friends anymore because yeah. she's draining. Yeah. Right? And so he pointed that out to me years ago. But at that time, I wasn't mature enough to understand. I wasn't mature enough to um, really be submissive at that mm. point. So it's like, you got a lot of nerve <laughs> trying to tell me who I'm going to be friends mm. with, you know? Um, or things about parenting, you know? Yeah. I, I had a son when I met him. Don't tell me how to put him on punishment. <laughs> uh-uh, we're not doing that. You know, yeah, so yeah. Um, there were a lot of things that we would just butt heads on. And it was like, uh, it's not going to work, right? Mm. Now now that we're divorced, we're best friends. Wow. That's one of my closest friends. That is my wow. buddy, right? We co-parent. Like, people think that we're still together. The way wow, you the way you co-parent. Yeah, we're, and, and people are like, no, we're not. Like, <laughs> we don't, <laughs> we, no, we are not together. But we show up. Right. Mm. We're there and we do it together and we get it done. And our son sees love. He wow. he knows that uh, we are a family unit. We love one another. But in marriage. Oh, that was not going to work. Like, mm. <laughs> it was like there are so many things that come with it that I didn't understand even at 30, because mm. emotionally I was probably 18 or 19. Yeah. I yeah. really didn't get it. So, yeah. yeah. And then let, let's take it a step further. Did you ever see anybody in your family married or happily married in a healthy relationship? No. No, yeah. I, still to this day, I have, well, no, I have an aunt that is married. She got married probably in her 40s, mm-hmm. so she wasn't married early on. And I have one uncle who's been married a very long time, um, but it's not something that I would say is my picture-perfect definition yeah. of marriage. Yeah. And other than that, we really didn't have marriage in our family. Mm-hmm. We really, um, the women in my family are kind of, I don't even want to call it strong mm-hmm. or strong-willed, but... Mm-hmm. We're definitely on the scale of you, what you're not going to do is <laughs> like we, you know what I mean? Like my grandmother, yeah, that yeah. was one thing that she taught us all. She instilled this work mm. ethic in us. My grandmother worked at Harley Davidson for almost 40 years. Oh my goodness. And I'll never forget the story that my grandmother told me. She said, you know, everybody came from down South up here. They yeah. was going to get on welfare yeah. if you had kids. Okay. Um, Because back when that time, they paid you per child, oh, $400 yeah, some dollars yeah. per child. So everybody who came from down south was like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to go to Wisconsin and get the welfare, yeah. get some food stamps. And my grandmother was on it. She was like, okay, cool. Um, And they gave her the welfare and they gave her the food stamps. And she said, one day the ice cream truck came by and all she had in her pocket was food stamps. And she couldn't give her kids a dollar for the truck. And she said, after that, I got a job because I would never... Like, my grandmother's really prideful. She's like, mm. I never want to feel that again. So I went to work. She said, all my other friends, they didn't care. They were complacent, and they stayed, and, wow. you know, they stayed at home. But my grandmother went to work. She would not stand for that. She's like, no. And so she instilled that in us. Like, we will not. <laughs> it's like, what? No, I'm going to work. I'm doing... I, I work three jobs, literally. Like I... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but it's like, we, we have yeah. a work ethic. We will go to work, and we will. Mm. And so um, sometimes that conflicts with what men expect of you, mm, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And so that, I've seen that a lot with the women in my family. We're kind of, mm-hmm. we're a little strong-headed, mm. <laughs> I think. And so it takes a, a special kind of guy to yeah. get it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, wow. And now, Nicole, at what age would you say that you realize, like, you know what? I'm still carrying some of my stuff from my childhood. Um, and I, I got to do something different. 37. 37. <laughs> that was the first yeah. time I saw a therapist. Yeah. 37. It took a really long time. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to her, I was going to talk about work. And I was like, Ooh. they stressing me out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's horrible. I need to get out of there. They are terrible. And she was like, back up. Like, uh-uh. 
it's some stuff that you're taking with you that you think your job is the problem, and they're not. Mm-hmm. It is you. So let's rewind. And she took it all the way back. <laughs> and I was like, hold on, girl, I'm here to talk to you about how they talk to me at work. Like, I'm ready to quit. I got to go. <laughs> and she was like, girlfriend, uh-uh, no. Yes. And when she kind of scaled me back a little bit and started pulling me apart, as offensive as it was, <laughs> I was like, dang. And so when I went to see her, I was actually in a really bad place at work, mm. like really bad. And when I tell you within a year, I got a promotion. I started getting sent to all kinds of training. Wow. Like within a year, less than a year, 11 months. Wow. 11 months exactly. Just because I said, let me go talk to somebody. And it wasn't my intention to say, oh, I'm going to go talk to somebody because I need to do better at work. I was going to talk to somebody just to complain about. I, about what? <laughs> no, it's not. It's them. I'm like, I'm There's something wrong you. with them. I'm waiting on you to tell me to quit. Okay. That's it. <laughs> Tell me, they stressing me out, girl. Tell me. And she was like, girl, uh uh-uh. uh. That's not what happened. No, that is not what happened. It's you. It's absolutely you. And when she told me it was me, I was like, ugh, the audacity. <laughs> but I'm telling you, she she pulled me apart. She pulled me all the way apart. And she was like, okay, consider this. Okay, think about this. Okay, mm. have you thought about how that makes you think about this? And I was like, nah. Like, why do I even need to think about it? Because at that point, I had a master's degree. I'm mm. smart. I don't need all this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't need no therapy. Yeah. For what? Yeah. Like, only reason I'm going is so you can be like, girl, take a leave of absence. You need some time <laughs> off. Like, but I didn't. I didn't need to leave. I didn't need to leave. I didn't. Need, I needed to address me and some mm. of the things that were going on with me. And like I said, within 11 months, literally, like, I was on a totally different path, totally different career path. Wow. Somewhere that I've been for 18 years now. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So, 37. It took me a long time to get that. <laughs> at, and at any point before you actually went into the therapist's office and scheduled an appointment, would you ever go back and forth? Or would friends ever be like, well, maybe try a therapist? Or maybe, did you have anybody ever actually? My ex-husband. Okay. Yeah. And I was wow. like, boy, you turned something crazy. Like, no. <laughs> mm, but hey, look, how instantly. Oh, that stigma. Like, what? I'm yes. not crazy. No. Yes. yes. Yeah. You go through that. And it's like, it's, it's, it's just pride and shame. Yeah. And why yeah. is there so much pride and shame associated with mental health? Like, all of us. Because we think we crazy yeah. if we see somebody. Yeah. We could all benefit from talking. And you Come can't on. always use your friends you can't always use yes. your friends and family because you're putting extra burdens on them and they got their own stuff mm-hmm. so go to somebody who's gonna get paid to listen to that mess like yes. because i i have friends who come to me and then it's, sometimes it's like wait cut it off i can't i'm not in the space where i can yeah. take it you know what i mean like i would never be like girl don't call me call a therapist i right. would say that right <laughs> yeah. and because i'm a little more knowledgeable and i've had so many experiences people trust me yeah. and they trust talking to me but sometimes that's hard being that person you know sometimes you don't want to be the air quote therapist you know Mm -hmm. what i mean so everybody can benefit from it if you think about it we do try to attend therapy it's just we don't see the right people Mm. you know we we went to the wrong people we went to people who will take take what we said and use it for their own malicious motives Mm. we went to people who don't care Mm. we went to facebook right oof Come on. Right? And then you have a thousand comments like, girl, yeah. Like, come on. But when you say something positive, it's like three likes. But when you go to Facebook and you vent. And you vent. Oh, really. it's a hundred comments. Right? And I'm nosy, so I read them. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like, don't yeah. do that. Don't do that. You you can go mm. and, and talk to someone. It's okay. It's okay. And you never know what they're going to pull out of you. 
Oh, that's so, so deep. And I think because oftentimes we do things that might be like therapeutic to us, but Mm -hmm. it's not therapy. Absolutely. Me writing my first book, I thought that was therapeutic. Mm. I thought I got it out here and I'm talking to people about it. I'm going to be healed. Yeah. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. hear me, and I told my story, and I cried while I was writing it. <laughs> and it's okay, right? I cried it all yeah. out. And and I wrote that book probably seven years before I went to therapy. Wow. You know, and it still wasn't it didn't. quite yeah, there. Yeah. I still was carrying around these things that I didn't understand I was carrying. Mm. Yeah, so not that I'm, I'm not going to sound perfect now. I mean, you know, of course, right. I'm still growing and learning and evolving mm-hmm. as a woman, and there are things that I still need to understand, but I ain't scared to go talk to somebody about it. That's mm. the thing. I will go and be like, hey, so am I tripping? Right? Like, <laughs> and that, that's okay. That's yeah, okay. Yeah. And, and to get that unbiased, somebody who has nothing to gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ain't going to side with you yes. just to ease you. Because yes. <laughs> I know you came here for a purpose. Right. And we're trying to get that purpose out of you. Absolutely. So you can continue on with your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And not let those things trickle down to how you're parenting mm-hmm. or things that, you know, things that you're doing or things at your job or whatever yeah. it is. Like you need to kind of get some things in order and check yourself mm-hmm. and say, okay, even though you don't want to hear it, sometimes mm-hmm. there are things about yourself that you need to hear that a third party is going to be able to tell you, not yeah. someone who loves you. Or not someone yes. who doesn't like you. Because yeah. if I feel like you don't like me, you're telling me that, then you hating. Mm-hmm. You know, you could yeah. be telling me something that's absolutely right. But if you're not in my circle or you're somebody who I've had some type yeah. of conflict with, then it's like, Psh, why would I pay you some attention? No. <laughs> but when you go to a therapist and they say it, it's like, you don't even know me. You? <laughs> also, that's how you feel. You know, but yeah. you have to reflect yeah. on that then. Yeah. You have you do. to. And what I always like to tell um, the adult women I work with, I'll be like, now sometimes you may not like me, mm-hmm. but we're here for that purpose. Right. right. <laughs> Right. Because you, you you came here for a mission and a purpose to, to do the work. Mm-hmm. And I'm all in as long as you all in. Right. Because right. you ain't always, you don't believe it sometimes. You're like, man, La- I can't believe Lakeisha. Yes. Th- that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> right. But I'll see you next week. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to tell me that about me. <laughs> well. <laughs> that's what's happening. So. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. I have a cousin that she she does that sometimes. She'll mm-hmm. be like, you know, you hurt my feelings. And I'll be like, I know. And then we moved on. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to tell you what you need to know about you. Yeah. And then we're going to move on and keep eating our breakfast. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> so you're going to be mad sometimes. Like, it's okay. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm no. not gonna, I'm going to tell you what it is. And I'm kind of, you know, in the emotion department, I'm not really all the way on high scale. So I don't sugarcoat stuff. And I'll be like, well, it's just... You, it ain't nobody else issue, <laughs> you know. And she'll be like, "Oh, you make me sick." Okay, well, you keep talking to me, so what? <laughs> so definitely, I'm saying something right because uh-huh. you keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness! Now, when you started therapy, did you um, were you afraid to share with people? Yes. So it's it's kind of twofold because I'm a transparent person mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. right? If you're if you're like now, we're talking about my book and things yeah. like that. That doesn't bother me, sharing. But when I initially went into the therapist's office and I felt like it's just me and her and she's going to scrutinize me, mm. that was different. And so that's why initially I just wanted to talk about work. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about 
that other mm-hmm. stuff. It has nothing to do with work. And it took a while for her to kind of start peeling back the layers mm-hmm. to say, now nah, this is okay, let's talk about this. Let's go mm-hmm. here. And I'm like, girl, I don't have nothing to do with my job. Like, you know. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah, yeah, you're not listening. Um, so, yeah, it was difficult in that one-on-one setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, part of having trauma, um, and there are some positives that come from that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there is an increased tolerance for distress. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a situation where most people are panicking, yeah. I'm not because it's kind of like, eh. Yeah, all right. I've, I've been through this. Exactly. Right? I had that experience. Or I'm a more empathetic person. I, I can relate to people in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some positives that come from that. But along with that, when you talk about transparency, I don't have a problem being transparent and telling my story if I feel like I'm helping someone else. Mm-hmm. But when I'm trying to help me, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm really yeah. concerned with other people. I really want to help other people mm-hmm. and make sure no one is going through some of the things I've gone through. Or if you're struggling with this, I want to help. But then when it comes to me... It's mm-hmm. kind of like I'm like, eh, you know, <laughs> so the therapy part, it was that was about me. And so mm-hmm. it was difficult then because I wasn't telling my story to help someone else mm-hmm. or to inspire someone else or encourage yeah. someone else. It was me telling my story to say, what's going on with you? And I didn't want to know. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to know what's going on with me. <coughs> That's deep, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was hard. I was yeah. like, oh. So now I gotta analyze myself. Because other people, <laughs> right? I can do other people all day, and I'm comfortable with it, and I can mm. do public speaking, and I can. And people are like, "Oh, you're great," but it's like, eh, <laughs> I got some stuff I need to deal with too, yeah. you know. And when you have to sit down and really deal with you, and that's it. Ooh, yeah, that's, that's hard. Hard <laughs> feeling. Ooh, we. That's that's rough. So yeah, I I tell people all the time to go to therapy. Please mm. go, and I'm not. I'm not saying that to offend you. I'm not saying that to say that you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Or, right? I mean, I think that it could benefit everyone, everyone, yeah. because we've all had experience with some type of trauma on some type of level. Yes. We all have. Yes. Was it important for you to have a therapist that looked like you or were you open? To... I wasn't open, no. Okay. <laughs> I wanted a black woman and that's it. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> It, there was just something about that for me that said she's going to understand mm. my story more. Yeah. And no offense to anyone else, mm-hmm. but even if you not off Atkinson out the zoo or from 5 yeah. to 206, as a black woman, there are certain things about my plight that you're going mm. to get. Um, even when I'm talking about work, right? Mm. Because it's not all made up. Some of it, yeah. as a black woman in the That's world, real. you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if I'm trying to tell that story to a white man, He's not going to really get it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was very important for me to have someone who would relate to me on mm-hmm. every level if I if I could have that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you found that. Did it take a while to find? It didn't. That, I was oh, I'm I'm one of those people who's really assertive and okay. very specific. And uh-huh. so I called Aurora and I was like, hey, yo, I want a black woman. And that's it. Like, don't. I don't want, don't, don't play with me. Don't try to sell me on. But she, uh-uh. <laughs> this is I what love I want. Becky. I like her. Yeah. However, she don't get it. Yeah. She don't get it. Yeah. Not all the way. Yeah. And if I'm going to really work on this, then I'm going to need somebody who's going to get it all mm. the way, you know? Um, and so I, I'm i a, a big advocate for myself. Yeah. I'm not going to just say, oh, it's fine. You can just schedule me here. Nope. Mm-mm. If she don't have openings, then I'll just wait, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I was very um, assertive. When it came to wow. that, um, are you having the same sentiments as far as for your son too? 
like you want a black and i know unfortunately like black oh, male therapists even teachers yeah i feel like if my son could get a black male teacher we we win half the battle mm. i really do he really respects men more than he respects women yeah and i'm i'm not saying he's disrespectful to women but because my son has a father figure mm-hmm. and because we are very intentional about roles and what mm-hmm. he views as roles i allow him to view his father as authority yeah right and um for that reason he sees women as nurturers and Mm -hmm. they're and so when you try to be in (laughs) that figure that his father is he has a problem with that Mm. um and so i couldn't find a black man but i was adamant that he had a male because he is more responsive to males when it comes to certain things because we like i said we intentionally play gender roles with him because i I, even if i i got a smart mouth and all of that and my ex-husband knows that Mm -hmm. but he knows that in front of my son i'm I'm gonna tone it down a little bit even if we go to a meeting at school i'm gonna let him talk until Mm -hmm. i can't take it no more then Mm -hmm. i'll be like wait hold on (laughs) but we we intentionally do that for my son so because of that he sees men as more authoritative Mm. i mean so it's important for me that he at least had a man Mm -hmm. i would love for him to have a black male but yeah uh, even at schools, I remember the last school he was at. I told the principal, I was like, I really wish that there was someone in the school besides a janitor that looked like my son, because Man. if he's aspiring to do things, nothing against janitors. If right. my son is gonna be a janitor, that's what he's gonna be. But I want him to see some other options, other options. you know. And it's hard. Not I, I get on black men all the time. Like I know it's not the most beneficial financially and things like that. But yeah. if you have a knack and you have a passion for kids. Try to look into it because yeah. our boys, they just we don't, they, they, they don't get a fair shake mm-hmm. when it comes to that. So, yeah. But we have a okay. male, so. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's talk a little more about your book, Hope. Now, what is the, the messaging you want people to get, like, at the end of the day when they read it? What is the message for them? You're absolutely not a product of your environment. Mm -hmm. You should not take your circumstances or where you come from and say, oh, this is just what we do. Mm -hmm. Because you can do whatever you want to do or whatever you set your mind to. Um, If I listen to everybody who said what I was going to do or every statistic that said if you're born to a teenage mother and then your teenage mother is on crack and then you and your siblings aren't together and then... You have experience with child molestation. And you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is what you're going to be. I'd be not where I am right now, right? So um, the message at the end is there is always hope. Mm-hmm. Don't take even a child, right, a child mm-hmm. that you're working with, don't tell them what they have to be or mm-hmm. what mold they have to fit into yeah. because you don't know. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know what God's calling is in their life. Mm. Um, and so one of the things I acknowledge in my book, I, undoubtedly, is that God has always kept his hand on me. Like, mm. no matter what it looked like when I was going yeah, through, yeah. oh, his hand has been on me forever. So I know I have a calling, right? I know I have a purpose. I mean, so I walk in that. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you come from or what you've been through. You walk in that. And once you understand that, then you're better off. So, wow. Now, what what would you say to those individuals um, who have experienced similar traumas, but yet you might see um, other ones have taken a different path um, and not have been as successful as you. Cause I have the one, one word <laughs> that I think um, kind of makes the difference, but what would you say 
would be that that difference for you know somebody may look at you and be like oh well she made it mm-hmm. how come you know this kid over here or this person over here didn't mm-hmm. you hear pull yourself up by the bootstraps yeah somebody did mm-hmm. it this and that and the other and i don't like those terminologies mm-hmm. either because um, one thing i like to acknowledge with people is i i do believe in colorism and mm-hmm. things like that. I do believe that there are certain privileges that come with me having a white father. Mm-hmm. Right? I do believe that I can walk into a room and because I'm of a certain complexion and hair mm-hmm. texture and yeah. I'm articulate that I'm going to be taken more seriously than some of my sisters. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I, I do believe in um, structural racism and I do believe yeah. that there's um, some oppression that goes on. So I would never say, oh, I did it. You can do it. Yeah, because yeah, I understand yeah. that there are some challenges that I don't have. Mm, just, wow. just just because of DNA, right? Yeah, just because my yeah. mama hooked up with a white dude in high school, right? Yeah. So I don't, I don't ever want to dismiss those. I understand that there are times when I walk into a room and people, they just take me more seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair. Of course. It's not. Yeah. Um, and so what I do is I go into the room and then I open up the door and leave it open. Because I'm gonna bring some people in behind me, right? Mm. You any any advantage that you think you have, then you make sure that you make sure somebody else gets that advantage on your because of you, mm. right? Um, so, but if there are people who are struggling with um, some of the things that I've been through, and they're wondering how do I get out of this, or mm-hmm. how do I come out this mm-hmm. rut? Um, a couple of things I would say: see seek therapy before mm-hmm. thirty seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, talk to someone as soon as you can yeah. talk to someone because if you don't know yourself it's really hard for you to come out of whatever you're in you yeah. got to know yourself you got to know your triggers you got to know yeah. what works for you and what doesn't work mm-hmm. for you and you have to start acknowledging that i mean then i'm not to go too spiritual but pray mm-hmm. pray mm-hmm. you talk mm-hmm. to god and you you try to figure out in your quiet time alone with him yeah. What is it that you're supposed to do? Because everybody's path doesn't work on a PhD. Mm-hmm. That's not everybody's yeah. path. You know what I mean? But understand what your path is. Find out what you have a passion for. Mm-hmm. And once you figure that out, then you go full force. And you don't mm-hmm. let anybody tell you, no, you can't do that. No, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can. You network. You use whatever social tools and you get around the right people and you make sure that you're picking up on whatever you can pick up on any knowledge you can get and you take it in i did that so much in my younger years i would just sit in a room with Mm. people that i thought were smart Hmm. now take it in i'm not gonna say a word i'm just gonna sit around y'all and i'm gonna take it in i'm gonna listen because i just want to know i don't come from a place where people are working on their phd Mm, right right but i'm gonna go and i'm gonna sit in a room with people who may be Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna soak up all the knowledge, and then shout out to my brother because my brother he's like the trailblazer for me, right? So <laughs> my brother he's always like when we were younger, I, he I'm not gonna say he had the best grades. I always had the better grades. <laughs> um, but when we got to high school, my brother mm-hmm. took off. Wow, right? he was on debate, president of student council. Everything my brother did, I was like, I'm gonna do it too. I can do it too. Wow. Find somebody who you feel like. I can do it, too, and follow. Yeah. My brother, he went and he pledged Alpha, so I would not pledge AK. This is what we're doing, <laughs> right? Like, right, right. My brother got his master's degree. I want to get a master's degree, too. Like, <laughs> this is just, you find somebody. Yeah. You find somebody, not to latch on to or drain, right. but to say, you know what? We're going to do this together. I have a sorority sister who, in undergrad, we took every single class together the last two years. Wow. And when we went to get our master's degree, we got the same degree, and we took every class together because oh. I knew she was going to hold me accountable. And I will hold her accountable. Yeah. And sometimes you just need a partner in crime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and we did totally different things with our master's degrees. But we walked across that stage together. 
because it was like if I don't feel like getting up, she gonna be on my phone. Like, girl, <laughs> right, right. You know, it's kind of like with exercise, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I need to be in the gym, but <laughs> if, I, <laughs> if I don't have somebody calling me, like, oh, come on. But if it's yeah. like my cousin's like, okay, this is our schedule, then it's like, oh, I gotta show up because she gonna be there, right? Yeah. Like sometimes you just need someone to hold you accountable to push mm. you. Um, when I was in first grade, when we talked about educators, um, I remiss to not say that I had a teacher. Her name was Miss Zimmerman in first grade. And I'll never forget. She didn't build a relationship with me as far as a bond and mm-hmm. me being comfortable telling her things. Mm-hmm. But the one thing she did was she told me, you're smart. Mm-hmm. She's like, nobody's going to take that away from you because you're really smart. And so I took that my wow. entire life. Like, to this day, I'll be like, Tuh, I'm smart. <laughs> like, And I was six, right? Thank you, Miss Zimmerman. Like, yes, yes. Miss Zimmerman yes. was like, you're smart. Can't nobody wow. take that from you. And I think maybe intuitively she knew that mm-hmm. I had other things going on. And she was like, girl, you smart. Like, wow. so it doesn't matter what else is going on. Can't nobody go in your brain and take out the smart. So yeah. you got it. You're good. Sometimes that's all you need. Like, I was on go mode after that. I was like, oh, yeah, she right. I am smart. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I'm I'm, I'm going to keep going. Right? Right. Yeah. Wow. I love it. Planting those seeds. Mm-hmm. See, y'all, we have a responsibility to our children. We do. Whatever capacity we interact with them in, I feel that's just me. It's our responsibility to plant those seeds mm-hmm. um, because, you know, eventually they'll grow. Yes. You may not see the fruit of mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. planting. Maybe um, someone else who comes behind you and waters it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But if you planted it, you got to start it. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Shouts out to Miss Zimmerman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners, Nicole, that we didn't touch or that you? The listeners tired of me. They're like, we don't heard about this girl. No, (laughs) No, I don't. I I think we've touched on a a lot of things. Um, I can't think of anything that stands out for me. I think we've covered a lot. If anyone has questions or wants to reach out or has questions, you can find me on my Facebook, Nicole Zick. Z-I-C-K. So. <laughs> Just Facebook, not Instagram? I'm on Instagram. My Instagram name kind of ratchet. So, <laughs> so we're going to just stay with Facebook? No, it's Do cool. Want, Instagram's cool. Nicole underscore Instagrammy. Instagrammy. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's Spell that I'm for at. the... For so <laughs> it's N-I-C-O-L-E underscore I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-M-M-Y. Because okay. I be pop, my selfies be popping. So I be like... Oh. <laughs> Instagram me. Yeah, that's it. I love it. <laughs> oh gosh. Before we head out of here, Nicole, what do you think are three key ingredients a person needs to be able to evolve into their best self? Prayer. Mm. Um, again, a teammate. Mm. I, I think a teammate is important. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a spouse. It can be yeah. a sibling. It can be a friend. Um, find a teammate. Find somebody you trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and that may be able to go on that journey with you. And then accountability of self. Mm. If you don't hold yourself responsible for your well-being, you won't win. Mm. You won't win. It's it's not anyone else's job. It's yeah. your own. Wow. Y'all heard that. Please go connect with Miss Nicole. Because um, I just know y'all going to hear this. And I know you're going to get a lot of inboxes and emails for people wanting to come have you speak. I'm up for um, it. Share your story. 
Um, and when you get done with the series, so is the goal after you get done with the whole series, then you're going to make more hard copies, have more hard copies. Right. Okay. Right. So right now there's hope and faith that are done. And right now I'm writing love. I don't think we touched on that, but yeah, right now I'm writing love, which is going to be the third piece of the trilogy of books. So do you have like a time frame in mind that you are thinking or are you like, um, I'm hoping within the next six months, that's my okay. prayer. Okay. Um, okay. But because we'll I definitely want to gift one of the listeners the the series. Okay. Of it. So okay. yeah. want to purchase that and and start putting it out there. That'd be dope. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and subscribe this podcast and share this session um, because I know it's helping a lot of people, especially our community, because we got to start talking about the traumas. Mm-hmm. So until next time, you guys be well. Hey, TC listeners, don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast. It can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And don't forget to connect with me on social media, on Instagram at The Evolving Chair, Facebook, The Evolving Chair, Twitter at The Evolving Chair without the R, and my new email address, podcast at theevolvingchair.com. So send in your questions if you are interested in being a guest or want to be on the chair with Lakeisha.